Good morning, church. I love you, and I appreciate you so very much. This weekend, uh, my family and I went to Hot Springs, Arkansas, where I began ministry over 20 years ago, and so it was great to catch up with some of the church brothers and sisters that I love so much, my brothers and sisters in Christ, and I had one of my good friends remind me of something I could have gone the rest of my life without being reminded of, you know, one of those things. He reminded me of when I very first started youth ministry. I went to Hot Springs as an intern, and he reminded me about the very first devotional that I ever did, and he didn't exaggerate when he talked about how nervous I was, and I mean, it reminded me of exactly how I felt. There was a, a pretty big crowd. I didn't know anybody, and, and I remember, and I'm not exaggerating at all, when I say that in the middle of the devotional, I knew how horribly this lesson was going. I mean, it was... It was bad. Like, it was really bad. Like, I, there, there's been other times where I've planned my escape while I'm talking. Like, after this is over, I'm just going to hit the door and nobody's going to stop me. Uh, but, but in this one, I was actually planning an escape for the middle of the lesson. I was thinking, I could just leave right now. Like, there's a sliding glass door behind me, and I'm just going to stop talking, get up, and run. And I'm pretty sure nobody will, will even try to stop me. They won't be like, hey, it's not as bad as you think. They'll be like, yeah, it's probably for the best. Just keep, keep running. Don't ever do this again. And, and, I, and I say that because there's, there's few things for me personally that make me want to quit, to throw in the towel, to say I'm done, I'm finished, I'm not going to try anymore, I, I'm not going to do this, like knowing that I messed something up. When I know that I've messed something up, when I know that I failed, when I know that something hasn't gone the way I planned for it to go, when I know that I didn't do something exactly right, when I feel badly about it, whether it's because I just messed up, I just made a mistake, or because I sinned, that, that feeling of knowing that I've fallen short, that I've messed it up, that I've missed the mark, it, it makes me want to just say, I, I'm done, I'm finished, I can't do this anymore, I'm not going to try. H have you been there? Have you felt that way, that you just want to give up because you've messed up? And even if that's not a feeling that you struggle with, I guarantee you that someone in your family is struggling with that right now. They feel like I've, I've messed up too much. The things that I've said, the things that I've done, the places that I've been, the people that I've hurt, uh, all of these things, all of this guilt and all of this shame, it's not worth it. I can't do it. I can't press on. And so, church, if, if we're going to foster a spirit of perseverance in our families, if we're going to help them to, to push on through trials, if we're going to help them to push on through temptation, if we're going to help them to, to push on through doubt, then, then we also have to deal with this one too, don't we? Guilt. How do we persevere when we know we're guilty? When we know we've messed up, when we know we've hurt people, when we know we've sinned against God, how do we keep going even though we know that we have fallen short? And this, I think, is a message and an idea that resonates with all of us, and it's one that we have to incorporate within our families. And we've been going through some of the Psalms and, and understanding that if we embrace these truths and incorporate them in our families, sing these songs, 
say these words, pray these prayers in our families, that we can, we can foster a spirit that says we're, we're unstoppable in Jesus, that we can keep going, we can persevere no matter what happens, because we've all sinned, and we've all fallen short, and we all struggle with wanting to give up, and we need to help ourselves and our, our children and our grandchildren and our nieces and nephews, maybe our spouse, maybe our brothers and sisters, to know how do we persevere when we're dealing with intense feelings of shame and guilt. So if you have your Bible, Psalm chapter 32 and verse 1. So good, so rich. Something we need to make sure is at the forefront of our minds and at the core of everything we are as families. Look at Psalm 32 and verse 1. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. Now you'll notice as we go through this psalm, there are all kinds of sets of three and just these repeated words and when we read some of these words, they seem very churchy, don't they? They seem very religious and, and, and maybe seem far off and disconnected from what we're really feeling and what we're really thinking. But I think if we'll understand the concepts behind some of these words, that they'll resonate deep within us. Now, I'll probably mispronounce some of these, but the word transgression, the Hebrew word behind that is pesha. And pesha is a, is a relational word, a word that is about betrayal, a word that's about breaking trust. When someone trusts you, when you have a relationship with someone, when you're supposed to do things a certain way, you have an agreement with someone, and then you betray them, when you break that trust, it is a transgression, it is a pesha. It is a betrayal, a breaking of trust. The, the other word, sin, which we say all the time, but the Hebrew word behind that is kataha. And, and, and it has to do with failure, missing the mark, falling short. And then there's that word iniquity. And the Hebrew word is avon. And avon has to do with being or something that is twisted or crooked or perverse. We, we say things like that, don't we? Almost intuitively, we say, uh, maybe even about our own thoughts, that was, a, that was a twisted thought. I can't believe I even thought that, or that was a twisted thing to do, or we talk about something that is corrupt or crooked. And so the psalmist recognizes these things within himself and teaches God's people to recognize these things in themselves, this transgression, betrayal, this sin, this falling short, this missing the mark, this failing, this messing things up, this iniquity, this twistedness, this corruption, this crookedness that is within us. But then with these three words of sin and iniquity and transgression, there's also these words of forgiveness. Forgiven and covered 
and not counted. The word forgiven, and we're going to talk about it a lot this morning, the word forgiven is about taking it away, taking it away, carrying it away. The one whose transgression is carried away. The one whose betrayal is taken away. The sin is covered. The way God covered over Adam and Eve's shame and guilt and not counted. It's like an accounting word. It's like a mathematical word. It's like you have a ledger and it's not on the ledger anymore. It's taken away. It's not counted against you. And the psalmist says, this is the blessed life. Remember we talked about a couple weeks ago, the ashray life, the blessed life. This is the happy life. This is the fortunate life. This is the best possible life. What is the forgiven life? Oh, the forgiven life. The life of recognizing and knowing I've betrayed God. I've broken trust with God. I've messed things up. I'm, I'm crooked. I'm twisted. I'm perverse. And yet my betrayal is carried away. My sin is covered over. My iniquity isn't counted against me. The psalmist says, this is the blessed life. This is the happy life. This is the fortunate life. This is the ashray life. This is the best possible life, knowing that you are forgiven. You are covered. Nothing is counted against you by God. He goes on to describe that. Look at verse 3. For when I kept silent... My bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. And again, I think sometimes we, we understand this almost intuitively. That guilt and shame destroy us from the inside out, don't they? Listen to the words. My bones waste away. My strength is dried up. You begin to wither away because of the guilt of knowing that you've messed things up, that you've fallen short, that you've betrayed, that you've broken trust, that you are twisted and crooked and your ways are not as straight as they should be. And that guilt and shame eats away at you. It destroys you from the inside out. And then we find all kinds of ways to, to live with it and cope with it, medicate it, justify it. And maybe we, we grow to resent ourselves and we internalize it. Or maybe we grow to resent other people and we say, you know, well, my, my sin, it's not as bad as their sin. Or, or actually, my sin is really not even my fault. It's their fault. And if they weren't such a hypocrite, or if they weren't such a this, or if they weren't such a that, then I wouldn't have ever done this. And we grow to resent other people. And sometimes we even grow to resent God. And it eats away at us. It destroys us. It causes us to resent ourselves, to resent others, to resent God. But then the psalmist says, verse 5, I acknowledged my sin, my failure, my falling short, the way I've messed it up. I acknowledged 
my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity, my crookedness, my twistedness. I said, I will confess my transgressions, my betrayal to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. See, this this whole psalm is an invitation to confession. And the only way we're ever enticed to confess our sins is to know that God is a forgiving God. You, You would never confess your sins if you didn't know that God is one who wants to forgive you. He wants to carry away your sin. He wants to cover over your your sin. He wants to take it off of your ledger. He wants to take it off of your account. And when you know this about God, that this is the character of God, this is the will of God, this is the desire of God, then it, it entices you to confess your sins. It's an invitation to confession and a promise for forgiveness if, if our confession is without deceit, if it's genuine. But it's also a recognition that, that forgiveness is not cheap. Forgiveness is not cheap. See, because again, the word forgiveness is about taking it away, carrying it away. Paul in Romans chapter 4 uses this psalm to talk about how we are justified by faith. So it's Jesus It's Jesus who takes away our sin, who carries away our sin, who allows us to be forgiven. But it's it's an actual thing that God does. God deals with it. And that's what happens. When I do something wrong, when I break something, when I mess something up, when I fall short, when I break trust, when I betray God, someone has to deal with it. Someone has to take it away. Someone has to carry it. Someone has to bear it. And God says, I want to forgive your sin. Give it to me. I will carry it away. I will take it away. I will deal with it. Now, I hear people a lot of times talk about forgiving ourselves. And I understand what we mean when we say, I need to forgive myself. But, but I, I kind of cringe a little bit when I hear forgive myself because we don't find that idea in Scripture. And, and here's why we don't find it in Scripture. Because forgiveness is something that someone does for you. It's something that someone does for you. It's them taking away your sin, carrying your sin away, dealing with your sin. The question isn't, have I forgiven myself? The question is, do I believe God when he says, I have forgiven you? Do I believe that Jesus really has taken my sin and carried it away and dealt with it? It's God who gives us the gift of forgiveness. See, one of the reasons we continue to struggle with guilt is because we're trying to forgive ourselves. We're trying to carry our own sin away and deal with our own sin. And guess what? We can't. We need Jesus to take away our sin, to carry away our sin and our guilt. 
And Jesus says, for those of you that are in me, those of you who have been united to me in baptism, those of you that are following me, those of you that are confessing your sin, I've dealt with it. I've carried it away. I've borne it myself. And so the question is, do we believe him? Do we believe God when he says, I have forgiven you? I have taken away your sin. The psalmist says, you forgave the iniquity of my sin. I I know how twisted my falling short is. And I also know how blessed it is to be forgiven by you. Look at verse 6. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found surely In the rush of great waters, they shall not reach him. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with the shouts of deliverance. We've seen this this theme throughout the Psalms, haven't we? That this theme of water, this water that's rising up, this water that's that's threatening to destroy. And the psalmist says, God, God loves helping you. God loves helping his people. He wants to help you. He wants to deliver you. He wants to keep you safe. He wants you to to take refuge in him. Ask him. Ask him. Pray to him. He can be found. This is the time right now. This is the time to, to ask him. This is the time to pray to him. This is the time to pour out your soul to him. But this petition begins with confession. A recognition and an acknowledgement of our own sin, our own iniquity, our own transgression, our betrayal, our our crookedness, our falling short, our messing things up, and then turning it over to him and saying, help me, help me. And the Psalms remind us over and over again, God wants to help you. As a parent, as a parent, it's really easy for me to get into the mode of saying, don't mess stuff up, right? Don't mess stuff up. And we all do that with our family, don't we? Don't mess stuff up. And, and that's fine. Don't mess stuff up. But guess what? They're going to mess stuff up. And, and guess what? So are you. We're going to mess stuff up. We're going to make mistakes. We're going to fall short. We're going to sin. We're going to betray people. We're going to break our promises. Our twistedness, our brokenness, our crookedness is going to come through. We're going to strive not to allow that to be the case. We're going to strive not to mess stuff up, but we're going to mess stuff up. What will you do when you mess stuff up? Will you believe these truths that God wants to help you? God wants to rescue you. God wants to deal with your sin. God wants to carry it away from you. God wants to forgive you. God wants to cover over your shame. This is what God desires to do for you. So pray to him when he can be found. This is the time right now. No more rotting away from the inside out. Let's deal with it. Let's talk about it. Let's acknowledge it. Let's confess it. Let's seek him when he can be found. And then in verse 8, the the speaker kind of changes maybe, and maybe this is God addressing us, addressing the psalmist. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Be not 
like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curbed with a, a bit and bridle, or it will not stay near you. God says, I want to I teach you. I want to counsel you. I want to instruct you. I don't want you to be like a horse or like a mule that you got to put a bridle on them and make them do what you want them to do. you got to force them. You have to compel them. I want you to do it because you want to do it. I want you to do it because you love to do it. I want you to do it because you trust me. You trust me. I want to teach you. I want to counsel you. I want to instruct you. See, all of this goes together, doesn't it? This is what it looks like to be God's people. It's for us to recognize our own shortcomings, our own failures, our own twistedness, our crookedness, our brokenness, our betrayal, and confess it to God and say, God, I, if I'm left to my own devices, I'm going to make a mess of everything. I want to do things your way. I don't want you to have to poke and prod me. I don't want you to have to, to compel me to do it. I, I want to do it because I, I know that your ways are the best ways. I want to listen to you and I want to learn from you. Verse 10. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. Steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. And it, it's in all of these ways, isn't it? It's the one who trusts in the Lord by listening to his instruction and his teaching and his counsel, who says, I want you to show me, show me how to walk in a straight way because my way isn't straight, my way is crooked. My way is perverse. My way is twisted. If I follow my own heart and my own desires and my own mind, I'm going to go astray. I need you to teach me. I need you to instruct me. I need you to counsel me. And we live in a world that's constantly telling, telling us, follow your own heart. Follow your own thoughts. Think for yourself. And over and over again, God teaches us, if you think for yourself, if you follow your own heart, if you follow your own desires, you will make a mess of things. You already have. You have a proven track record, don't you? So do I, of messing things up. Trust in the Lord. Listen to his instruction, to his teaching, to his counsel, and obey him. But, but also, trust him when you've made a mistake. Trust him when you've sinned. Trust him when you've betrayed him. Trust him when you have Shown your crookedness and your twistedness. Confess your sins to him. He wants to forgive you. He wants to take it away from you. He wants to cover over your sin and your shame and your guilt. He wants to make it right. He wants to take it off of your account. So again, the question is, do you trust him? Do you trust him enough to obey him? And many of us, oh yes, I trust God. I want to obey God. Good. So do you trust him when he says, I've forgiven you? Do, you? do you trust him when Jesus says, I've bled for you. I've died for you. Do you trust him when he says, if you walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of his son 
cleanses us, cleanses us from all transgressions. Do you believe him that you're clean? Do you believe him that you're forgiven? Do you believe him that you're covered? Do you believe him that he has dealt with your sin? Because the psalmist says, that's the blessed life. That's the ashray life. That's the happy life. That's the fortunate life. This is the best possible life to know and trust and believe that you really are forgiven because of what God in Christ has done for you. If we don't believe that, we stay stuck, don't we? And that's what Satan would love to happen. He would love to happen that for that to happen with you. He would love for that to happen with your, your kids and your grandkids and your nieces and nephews and your spouse. He would love to keep convicting you and say, you remember what you did. You remember how you messed up. You remember how you've fall, fallen short. You remember how crooked you are, how corrupt you are, how twisted you are, how perverse you are. And he would love for you to stay stuck in guilt and shame. But God wants us to move forward. And this is how we keep moving forward. We keep moving forward when we have faith that he forgives. We keep moving forward when we have faith that he forgives. This is the blessed life. To know, I really am forgiven. I really am covered. He really has dealt with my sin. He's bled for me. He's died for me. He no longer puts it on my ledger. Yes, yes, it's good for us to, quote-unquote, forgive ourselves, but it's really God's forgiveness that you just have to decide, do you believe it? Do you trust it? Do you have faith that he forgives? And if you have faith that he forgives, you can let go of the self-resentment. You can stop resenting yourself. You can stop resenting your neighbor. You can stop resenting your family. You can stop resenting God. And you can move forward in faith that he really does forgive. And see, we, we need to have conversations in our family, don't we? Because some of us grew up being told what to do, but not being told what to do when you don't do what you've been told to do. What do we do? When we mess up? What do we do when we fall short? What do we do when we, when we follow our own thinking and our own feeling and our own heart and our own mind and we make a mess of things? Sometimes we grew up in families that didn't teach us how to deal with guilt, how to deal with shame, how to deal with sin. But whether or not you were taught that, God is teaching you that now. And now it's up to us to make sure that we're teaching that well in our families, that we're teaching them how to deal with forgiveness and grace and mercy, teaching them that the cross means for those of us that put Jesus on in baptism, for those of us who make ourselves his disciples, his students, who say, I want to follow him and I want to learn from him and I want to do things his way, for those of us that trust in him, we really are forgiven. And we need to make that core and central in our homes. So we know how to obey, but we also know how to deal with it when we haven't obeyed. And that blessed life begins at baptism. That's what baptism is. It's having faith that he really does forgive. 
that if I follow him into that watery grave, as we say, if I follow him into the the baptistry, if I follow him into the water, that at that point of dying with him, I'm united with him. And when I'm raised up out of that water, I'm forgiven. And the Spirit of God dwells in me. And Jesus walks with me. And he cleanses me on an ongoing basis. And he serves as my high priest, even right now, interceding for me. But we need to be reminded of that constantly, don't we? So that we're invited. Invited to confess. And promised that God really does love to forgive his people. And maybe you're ready to be baptized into Jesus. Or maybe you need to confess some sin. Or maybe you need your brothers and sisters to pray with you. But if there's any way we can help you this morning, now is a great opportunity to respond. You can visit with the shepherds after service in the prayer room or come forward now as together we stand and sing this song.